and turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. We are in our last message in 2 Peter. This will be the last night we are in this. And Lord willing, next week we're going to start in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Yeah, I've already started studying for that, of course. And I can tell you one thing. A lot of folks don't have a whole lot to say about Ecclesiastes. You find a whole lot. You find a whole lot about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Proverbs, Psalms. When it gets to Ecclesiastes, people don't want to touch that book, and I can tell you why. I can, I'll tell you why next week, why people don't want to get into the book of Ecclesiastes. But tonight we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're finishing this as we look one more time at the inspired Word of God uh, through the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. It says, Wherefore, the beloved, seeing that we, that seeing that ye look for such things, what's he talking about? Such things. We'll go back to uh, uh, verse number eleven. Seeing then that all things, all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye be in the holy conversation? God is looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day, wherein the heavens shall, uh, heavens being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So basically realizing the end of the world is coming, and it is coming. It is coming, no matter what the scoffers talk about. We've mentioned that. No matter what people may say, Jesus is coming again. And we have hope in that, we trust in that, we believe in that. And so realizing that, that the end of the world is coming, he says in verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, an account that after the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in, in all his epistles, speaking in them of, the thing, of these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, Seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, thank you for this, your wonderful word. I pray you help us to understand it. Give me the words to say tonight, Father, to help your people understand it better. God and direct in everything that's said and done. And may Jesus Christ be praised. If there be one in this room who does not know Christ as their Savior, Father, draw them to yourself and help us as Christians, Lord, grow by being here tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I had a fancy PowerPoint, but for some reason it just did not make it here. And we tried and tried, but it just must not be meant to be. So instead of fighting it, I said, okay, let's just play plan B and thank God that I do have it written down in my notes. So first of all, we're going to look at three different uh, commands of Peter here. First of all, in verse 14, to behave, to behave. Before he leaves us, uh, and ultimately he is, he's, he's going to die, and we're going to talk about that uh, before we're done tonight. Before he puts down his pen on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us this instruction. First of all, behave. Behave. He says here, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him peace without spot and blameless. 
Be diligent. You know, in the, in the last times, it is going to be easy to be slothful. It's going to be easy to be a slacker. I shared this, uh, this uh, fact, this, uh, this quote that I read uh, this last week with the men at, at Monday morning breakfast. I read or uh, heard this last week that in the first time in the history of the United States, there's 7 million men from the ages of 20, from 20 to 54 that are not working and are not looking for work during peacetime. Seven million men in America who are not trying to work. I believe that's a sign of the times. And everywhere I go, and you probably go to the same place, you hear, I hear managers, and I'm often at that barbecue place down that way, and they often say to me, we can't find good help. And especially men. I think we are in trouble because if we don't have good, strong men, we don't have a good, strong country. We don't have a good, strong state. We don't have a good, strong community. We don't have a good, strong church. We don't have good, strong homes. Men are to be the leaders. In Isaiah, there's a curse that's coming to Israel when the women and the children lead. And that's what's happening in our, in our world today. Women and children are leading the country when it should be men. Why? Because God in design started with Adam instead of Eve, didn't he? He could have started with Eve and then Adam, but he started with Adam, not Eve. So we're, 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 he's, he's saying here, men, he's saying to all Christians, be diligent. Be diligent. Work hard. Man, that work, it, it's a four-letter word, but it's a good four-letter word. It shouldn't be something that's negative. It's something that we want to do. Laziness and slothfulness is of the devil. It's not good. We, boy, you read generations of men, especially the World War II generation, one of the greatest generations, and you see their work, their work ethic. What he's saying to people, be diligent. Be diligent, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Men, if you're the head of the house, you should be the leaders of your home. Your wife should not be. And it got awful quiet in this room. I didn't hear one amen. I didn't hear hallelujah. I didn't hear, I didn't see a white hanky toss up in the air. <laughs> men, you should be the spiritual leader in your home. Praise God. Somebody said it. <laughs> Why did I say that? Because it's the truth. It's the truth. For too long, men have delegated spiritual things to the women. The men go out there and work, and the, and the man says, well, lady, woman, you, or wife, whatever else you say, you do the spiritual spark. That's, that's not right. That might be tradition, but it's not biblical. Tradition and Bible sometimes don't meet. We need to be diligent. We need to be di diligent. The word here means to exert yourself. Not want to be diligent, but without spot, meaning without mark or stain, feel free from defilement before God, blameless, not open to censure or adverse criticism. When I think about these words, being diligent, without spot, blameless, I think of Psalm chapter 15. Listen to this. Psalm chapter 15, or you can turn there if you like, but I'll read it for you. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. 
He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil in the, to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. He that honoreth him with fear of the fear of the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. That's what we're talking about. Purity, righteousness, holiness. That's what we ought to be striving for. Being diligent in these type of things. We're diligent in so many other areas of our life, aren't we? Our work, we're diligent. Maybe in your play, you're diligent. But what about your Christian life? Are you just as diligent in your work as you are in your Christian life? Well, you being here on Wednesday night, that shows me something. You've chosen the hunger and thirst after righteousness, and that's a good thing. But let me encourage you to do so. How, how's that Bible reading resolution? Have you been keeping up with it? Reading your Bible is, is God talking to you. You spending time in prayer is, is, is you talking to God. Whatever resolution spiritually, and I hope you've made some spiritual resolutions, how have you been doing in those things? Be diligent about those areas. Be diligent. So he says, behave. But secondly, believe. Verses 15 and 16, in account of that long suffering of our Lord's salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto us, he says, an account of that long suffering for our, salva- for our Lord is salvation. God wants us to have long suffering. Of course, we know that we serve a God who's long suffering. And sometimes we need patience, don't we? <laughs> well, you, it, it, sometimes we pray for patience, but in praying for patience, you're praying for tribulation. Because tribulation, trouble, difficulty works patience in your life. I read a, a part of a, a biography by Dr. A.T. Pearson about the life of George Mueller and his patience in his prayer life. He wrote, I have myself 29 years been waiting for an answer to prayer concerning a spiritual blessing. Day by day, have been able to continue in prayer for this blessing at home and abroad, this country and foreign lands and health and in sickness. However much occupied, I've been enabled day by day by God's help to bring this matter before him. And still I have not full answer yet. Nevertheless, I look for it. I expect it confidently. The very fact that day after day and year after year for 29 years, the Lord has enabled me to continue patiently believing to wait on him for the blessing still further encourages me to wait on. As I'm fully assured that God hears me about this matter, that I have been often enabled to praise him beforehand before the full answer, which I have ultimately received to my prayers on this subject. Thus you see, dear reader. And while I have hundreds, yea, thousands of answers year by year, I have also, like yourself and other believers, the trial of faith concerning certain matters. He was a man of prayer. Have you prayed for something for 10 years? For 15 years? For 25 years? For 30 years? We're in a, we're in a instant, we're in an instant do it your way, have it our way generation, aren't we? Man, we want God to answer our prayers yesterday. But sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers yesterday. Sometimes he says no, and that's sometimes the best thing for us. And sometimes he says wait. And that, and that sometimes that's the best thing for us. 
He goes on and talks about Mr. Mueller began to pray for a group of five personal acquaintances. After five years, one of them came to Christ. In 10 years, two more of them were saved. He prayed for 25 years, and the fourth man was converted. And the fifth, he prayed into the time of his death, and his friend, too, came to Christ a few months after his death. So in all, he prayed for 52 years for five friends. You're praying for somebody. Praying for that father, that mother, that cousin, that aunt, that uncle, that person you see at Walmart or Target. Are you praying for their soul? You say, preacher, I can't, I, I'm not very talented. Dear friend, you don't have to be talented. Just get down on your hands and knees and pray. Just pray. Ask God. Now, dear friend, if you were dying and going to hell, wouldn't you want somebody to pray for you? Though you wouldn't even know that. Maybe recognize it. I'm thank God for the prayers I had of my grandmother and mother and family. When I was in rebellion in my teenage years, oh, there's a word of advice. We need to be patient as the Lord is patient. There's a word of admir admiration. We see him in, in verse 15. Even as our beloved Paul has also, uh, also according to the wisdom given to him, hath written to you. Now, I must have think, as we think about Peter and Paul, of course, Peter would have been there very, from the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, Peter, that fisherman who lived primarily in Capernaum, and there in Capernaum, there's actually a statue of Peter right there by the Sea of Galilee. You see a, a picture of Peter. But, of course, Peter, as you look in the book of Acts, his deeds that he did slowly fade away, and then I believe it's by Acts chapter 9, we see the conversion of Paul, and things go from basically the life of Peter to the life of Paul. Why? Because Paul, Peter still represents, in a sense, the old way of doing things. The old way uh, of Judaism. And remember, in Galatians, Paul actually had to rebuke Peter sharply because Peter was a kind of ashamed of the Gentiles. He struggled with the gospel going to the Gentiles. But remember, the Jews had rejected Jesus Christ. The gospel needed to go to the Gentiles. And Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul rebu rebuked him about that. And so there had to be some, there had to be a little bit of friction between the two, maybe some jealousy. Some one commentator had written it that Peter had won his thousands, but Paul his ten thousands. So at this point, at the end of his, his, his life, he says, Beloved, beloved brother Paul. Beloved brother Paul. Of course, there was great contrast between the two and there needed to be Paul to come on the scene so the, the gospel could go to the Gentiles. And thank God it did. It had to be more than just the Judaism that Peter was focused on. Without Paul, oh, how different things may be today. Oh, I remember Peter, Peter, he said, Not so, Lord, when that sheep came down and those different animals that he'd never eaten before were there before him. He said it, no, not so, not so, not so. Now, how he could say no to bacon, I just don't understand. He just had never had business and gravy, but someday I hope he did. But he said no to that because it wasn't his custom. It wasn't his tradition. He wasn't used to that. Thank God that Paul came on the scene. So there's a word of admiration. There had been a word of advice and now he's going to give, in verse 16, a word of admonition. He says, the depths of his writing. Also, he says, in all the epistles, speaking to them these things, in which are some things hard to, under, under, 
hard to be understood. Of course, there's several things. If you read the Pauline epistles, of course, God used him in a mighty way to write much of the, of the New Testament. You read the scriptures, and there's so much that Paul uh, writes. You look, go in the book of uh, Romans, there's a law of the conscience, the teaching of the old man versus the new man, the sovereignty of God, the free will of man, the teaching of, of olive tree and Israel's future, the teaching of the freedom of the, of the Christian's conscience, teaching on marriage, uh, teaching of woman's place in the church, spiritual gifts, sign gifts. Uh, there's teaching of uh, the resurrection, of course, in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. The teaching on our freedom from the law, the, uh, the, the allegorical significance in Hagar and Sarah. The teaching of the middle wall partition taken down in Ephesians chapter 2. The worshiping of angels, the mystery of godliness. I mean, Paul covers so much. He gives so much light. He gives so much light. That's why it's important that we read the entire Word of God. Some people prefer places, and there's nothing wrong to prefer. But remember, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Don't, don't, that's why it's important to read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Read them both, because it's important. Read them all. But unfortunately, some people had begun to... Uh, it says, which are, are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures, to their own description. They begin to take bits and pieces from the scripture and unfortunately teach only on those things. That's why it's so very important that you don't just take one verse and rip it from the pages of scripture and say, well, that's what I believe in. You have to take scripture and look at it compared to the rest of scripture. Yeah, you have to know a little bit about the biblical history. You have to know about the land. You know about the people. You need to know something about the language. As a preacher, that's a whole lot of information. Trust me, I know. <laughs> it's a lot. And I've been studying this for 32 years, and that's sometimes as I study the Word of God, I feel like I just scratched the surface of it. But be careful. That's why I encourage you to have a, a good Bible and a good study Bible. And if you don't know something, you know what? The best thing to do, ask somebody. Come to me. Come to Brother Pete. Go to Brother Clayton. Go to, come to us and say, hey, I got a question about the Bible. And you know what? Sometimes we might look at you and say, I don't know. But I have a few books back there, and I will do my best to get you the answer in just a few days. But don't just take something and twist it. This word rest means to strain, to twist to torture it, to try to make it say something it doesn't actually say. But the Bible has to be interpreted literally. We believe in a natural, literal interpretation of the Bible. That's what independent Baptists, independent fundamental Baptists, which we are, that's what we believe in, a natural, literal interpretation of the Bible. Like you pick up a, a piece of pa a paper this morning and you read something about the speech that happened last night. You try to take it literally. And when you read the Bible, you read it literally. Don't try to read something into it and make it say something it doesn't say. What does it actually say? So it's, it's, it's important. It's important. There's a danger of resting scriptures to one on destruction. All the cults do it, unfortunately. So he tells us to behave, and secondly, he tells us to believe. And thirdly, he says, beware in verses 17 and 18. 
he says, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, the things that he just reminded us of before, he sees beware. Before he puts down his pen, he sings beware. <laughs> beware what? Lest ye also being led with the error of the wicked fall away from your own steadfastness. It's easy to be led astray. Because you have three enemies that are against you 24-7. The devil, the world, and your flesh. And the devil doesn't want you to be here on a Wednesday night listen to a Bible sermon. The devil doesn't want you here. The devil doesn't want you praying. The devil doesn't want you praying. The devil doesn't want you witnessing. The devil doesn't want you living in unity in your home or in your church. He wants you divided. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is division. And aren't we seeing that in the world today? No, God wants unity. How wonderful, how beautiful it is that we dwell together in unity. Because only in unity can we grow. Only in unity can we thrive. Only in unity can we succeed in life. God wants us to have unity. So he says, first of all, don't go. <laughs> don't go astray. The word here for wicked means someone who's utterly lawless people, such as those of Sodom and Gomorrah, whose lifestyle so troubled Lot. The word for led away can be rendered carried away. The word for steadfastness occurs here. Only here it contains a warning not to lose one's foothold. Don't be led astray. When you hear someone saying something that doesn't make sense, don't just, don't just swallow it. Hook, lie, and sinker. Question. I love what Reagan says. Trust but verify. Trust but verify. Someone comes to you and says, you know, so-and-so said, well, just because somebody says so-and-so said it, how do you know they actually said it? How do you know they actually said it? Be careful. Be careful. Be careful about turning on those TV preachers late at night and start listening to something. Be careful about reading some book that you get at the used bookstore and you start reading it. And from, and from reading it, you, you somehow concoct a whole new theology that's different from this book. Be careful. Why do I say that? Because I've known people that have done it. I've known people that are faithful at church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, be involved in the bus ministry. They read one book and they never showed up to church ever again to that church. They got caught up in Calvinism. They read one book and it changed their entire life. If you want to know what Calvinism, see me. I, get you. I got a few books about it. <laughs> That's a different subject. But he says, grow. He says, don't go. Don't go astray. But he says, do grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now, for now and forever. Amen. Don't go astray, but do grow. Do grow. How we grow? In grace. <laughs> All of us needs grace. Saving grace. Saving grace. There was a day that, the, that Peter, not by the deeds that he had done, not by knowing Christ or seeing Christ or being around Christ or preaching Christ, got saved by the grace of God. You can only be saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be by grace. Thank God for his saving grace. 
But more than just saving grace, thank God for His sovereign grace. His sovereign grace. God is sovereign. And sometimes we just go through trials and troubles and difficulties, but we trust in the Lord. The word Lord means master. See, God is not, Jesus Christ is not just my personal Savior. He's my Lord. He's the one who is the controller of my life. I have no rights. I have no rights. If he's my Lord and he tells me to do something, aren't I supposed to, as a bond slave, as, a, as we talked, Brother Pete talked about this last Sunday, as a servant of God, aren't we supposed to just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, a good question for you to ask every time you get up in, in the morning and say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Now, what if what you wanted to do and what God wanted you to do changed? So you get up in the morning, you have a list of things to do, and it's a good thing to have a list of things to do because we don't want you to be lazy. I just preached about that. We don't want you to be slothful. You ought to have a list to do, but what if God interrupts you? You know, sometimes I'm studying and I'm doing something. I got a list of things I got to do, but God is in the interruptions. I get a phone call that so-and-so is sick. I get a phone call that somebody needs help. I got a phone call that, that this needs to be done. And my flesh wants to say, well, you know, I need to do this, 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 and this. But what does God want me to do? That's what you got to ask yourself. And be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because your flesh wants to win. It's like a tug of war. Your flesh is pulling one way and the Spirit is, is, is pulling the other way. You know who wins? The one you feed. If you didn't spend time in the Word of God that morning in prayer and devotion and study and meditation, your flesh probably won that battle. But if you spend time with God, because time with God is always time well spent, then the Spirit, by the grace of God, is in control of your life. And when that thing needs to be done that maybe wasn't on your checklist to do, you'll be sent to the Holy Spirit and do it. There's sovereign grace and there's sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. God sustains us, strengthens us, helps us in our life. When we think we cannot do it, God supplies. I came back from, uh, I mentioned Sunday, I came back from Egypt, and I wasn't feeling good, and I found out about several other people weren't feeling good. About Thursday, the week after I got back, I just got to the point where I'd, I'd called the doctor, got medicine, and medicine wasn't working. I thought to myself, I'm going to have to go to urgent care, and I really don't want to go to urgent care. Don't want to do it. So I just said, you know, I just prayed that morning for wisdom. I said, God, I need wisdom. How to, I'm tired of being sick. I don't want to be sick anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that. I said, Lord, you give me wisdom. So what I did, I just went on Google, and I started typing my symptoms. And it said, you, probably, you might have this. And I said, well, how can I fix this? And it says to fix this, you have to have that. And I had that right by my drawer. I took it, and as soon as I took the medicine, I was better. I said, Marty, how'd you do that? God, if any man lacked wisdom, let him ask. Do you believe the Bible when it says ask? It, when, you, when you need wisdom from God and he wants you to come and ask him for it, how did I get healed? He'd already provided the medicine. 
I just didn't know I actually needed that medicine. But God provided the medicine before I even was sick. I had it in my drawer. And it healed me. And God, you see, that's you, preacher. No, dear friend, that's for all of us. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's sustaining grace, and he's sufficient grace. Come disease, death, Paul could say his grace is sufficient for me, and his grace is sufficient for you. No matter what struggle you're going through right now, his grace is sufficient for you. Do you believe that? He tells us to grow in grace, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word, the word knowledge is the word gnosis, which means, conveys the thought of knowledge acquired by learning, effort, and experience. Sometimes the only way to learn something is to actually go through it. There's no better, there's no better way than experience. You say, man, I don't, I don't want that pain. <laughs> I have people I talk to on a regular basis who are going through pain. And oftentimes I say, they say to me, why am I going through this pain? Whether it be marital pain, financial pain, personal pain. So why are you going through this pain? I say, could it be that you're going through this pain so that you might learn a lesson that you might tell somebody else later on? St. Corinthians chapter 1. God, in his sovereignty, wants you to call on the God of all comfort so that he may comfort you. So in times in the future, you may comfort somebody else. But how are you going to do that if you've never been through the problem? You see, if I was going through cancer, I would want to talk to somebody who's gone through cancer. I know what it's like to lose a, a, a parent. You know what it's like. Many of you know what it's like to lose a parent. But if you never lost a parent, you don't know what it's like to lose a parent. But if somebody just says, well, I know what it's like to die, but hey, losing a parent, that's, 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 that's different. God uses those circumstances in our life to teach us so that we ultimately, by the grace of God, can teach others. The question is, will you allow God to teach you or will you get bitter because of the problem in your life? See, if you get bitter because of the problem in your life, you won't be teachable and then you won't be able to teach somebody else. But if you allow God and say, God, in your sovereignty, you've allowed this to happen for a reason and purpose that I don't quite understand, but I trust you because you're my Lord and Savior. And because I trust you, I can now take this and teach somebody else. The question is, will you, will you allow God to do that? There's many a person who used to sit right where you're sitting, right beside your sitting, that who, it was, they, it, uh, no. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Instead of allowing God to work in their life through the pain, they got bitter at God, and now they're sitting on the sidelines. And that's exactly where the devil wants you tonight. Saved, but sitting on the sidelines. And that's exactly where the devil wants you. God wants you in the game. So we can encourage one another and help one another, strengthen one another, and love one another, and be there for one another. Peter's coming to the end, and he says, To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter is one of the few people that got to see the glory of God. Oh, Moses did. 
on that mountain. He got a glimpse of God spending those 40 days with him. He came down from that mountain. His, his face were a glow that the people looked on him and said, we can't stand the fake, can't stand it. Put a veil over your face. And Peter, James, and John on that Mount of Transfiguration went up there and got to see Jesus unveiled. Just a glimpse of his glory. Remember, it was Peter who said, hey, it's good that we'll be here. Let's, let's, make a tabernacle for, let's make a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And a dark cloud came up over that mountain, over that hill. And God said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Oh, Moses is wonderful. That's the law. Elijah's great. That's the prophets. But salvation is not in Moses. Salvation is not in Elijah. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Hear him. Hear him. Peter got to see a glimpse of his glory. But soon Nero and his soldiers, his Roman soldiers, were going to come a-knocking. They're going to find him. And they're going to take him. And they're going to execute him. Traditionally, they're going to crucify him. Not the way Jesus was crucified, but upside down. Because he did not feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And he got to see his glory. The full glory. I'd love to have been there when Jesus met Peter in heaven. What a reunion that would be. But dear friend, that's not just for Peter. It's for each of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. On that day that we meet him, are you going to be glad that you met him? Or are you going to be sad? If it was today you were to meet Jesus Christ, God forbid something were to happen to you, but praise God if it was the rapture, would you be glad? Would you be, would you be upset that, you didn't ha that your to-do list don't get done tomorrow? Would you be sad, Brother Tiny, you don't get to go to the dentist tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I wish somebody would punch me before I go to the dentist. <laughs> would you be sad if you met Jesus tomorrow or tonight, or would you be glad? There's a whole lot of Christians out there who be sad, would be sad if, if today was their last day because they're praying their kingdom come, their will be done. But dear friend, if you really trust him in Jesus Christ, you're praying for his kingdom come, his will be done have you given your will to Jesus or are you still living your will there's no peace no joy no thrill like walking in his will whose will are you following today let me, let me encourage you tonight put up the white flag surrender your life will be a whole lot peaceful a whole lot better if you just say, I surrender all, I, I give up, I give in, I'm tired of fighting, whatever area it might be in your life. Maybe God's asking you to do something this week. Maybe he spoke to you in your devotion or he's been asking you to do something and you've been fighting it up to this point in your life. Ultimately, <laughs> Peter had to quit writing. He had to quit preaching. He had to quit teaching. He had to go be with Jesus. Are you willing to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your, your, these wonderful words by this great man of God who changed in such a dramatic way.
Peter, who always seemed to say things at the wrong time, the wrong way, was used in such a mighty way. As he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words in First and Second Peter, help each one of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We long